Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. I'm Eric Skoskowspel. Well, guys, um, what an amazing weekend. Uh, we have a lot to get to, a lot of just amazingness happened this past weekend. And, uh, you know, also heard from a lot of, a lot of you listeners out there that, you know, you're enjoying what you're listening to. Um, if that continues to be the case, uh, tell a friend, um, head to our website, westlawpirates.com. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, shoot us an email, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Call our voicemail line, 847-231-CATS, 847-231-2287. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys and, you know, share, share the love because, you know, we're, we're having a lot of fun, and especially with this past weekend was just amazing on all accounts. Um, oh hell yeah, we're having a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So we beat the we kind of beat the crap out of Wisconsin. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> that pretty was pretty much. That was unreal. Um, and I think we knew coming into this day that there were three different things that could break our way. The Wisconsin game being the biggest one, Iowa, Penn State being the second biggest, Purdue, Michigan State being the third biggest. The odds of that of all that happening were minuscule to say the least. And it all broke our way. We hit the triple sevens. It was one of the greatest uh, football days uh, for Northwestern that I can remember. Yeah, I mean, just tremendous. And you know, obviously, we'll, we'll start with our game because that was the most important. What was really interesting is you know watching the game. It looked like we, you know, we were clearly the better team. I mean, yes, not having Alex Hornibrook hurt them quite a bit. Um, Jonathan Taylor had a miserable game, which fantastic. I mean, their leading rusher, Garrett Groshek, um, guy we didn't even have on our radar. But what's interesting is like you go back and you look at the stats. The yards were pretty similar. The rushing numbers were pretty similar. The passing numbers were pretty similar. But you know, that's sort of one. This is an instance where what you saw on the field is not indicative of what the stats show because, you know, if you look at the stats, you say this should have been a much closer game, but you watch the game, this this was not, you know, this was not close. No, and I think Wisconsin's best drive of the game was probably, I mean, I don't even know, their second one where they started with a short field because of Clayton Thorson's first interception. Um, I think it's funny because I think there are a couple ways to read this. One is Wisconsin's turnovers were so much worse than our turnovers. I just envisioned someone looking at the stats who didn't watch the game and looking at Clayton Thorson's line, right? 17 of 30 for 167, one touchdown and three interceptions and thinking that he had a bad game. And let me assure you, that is not what it felt like in the stadium <laughs> <laughs> at the time. Um, one, because well, he made he made a couple key plays with his legs, but two, because... By and large, those interceptions were not interceptions that mattered in the scope of the game. Nor were they really on him. Um, the first one was uh, a weird tip drill, right? That somehow... The, yeah, the, I mean, he forced it, but yeah. Yeah, I, so it was a tight window, right? But weird tip drill, guy catches it, you know, millimeters off... Well, all right, I'll give him inches off the ground. Um, <laughs> the deep throw to Cam Green, I had zero problem with, especially because arm, Cam... Arm, yeah, arm punt. Well, Cam Green, Cam Green positioned himself in front of the defender to catch that pass. 
and the defender happened to get in the air before him and need him in the back. And I'm not suggesting that it should have been an, an, an interference call. I mean, let's be honest, we've seen worse interferences called uh, and not called as that as that may be. But like Cam Green was in position to jump up and make that catch. And it just happened to be that he he got kneed in the back and wasn't able to get off of his feet. And so the defensive back hung in the air and caught the ball. Right. And I think the the big asterisk, too, with that also is we've been screaming for us to be aggressive in those exact situations. So I'm just going to echo what you said in that love the play call. Yeah, you've got a single coverage out there. Sure, throw it up. Take a deep shot. What can happen? And as it was... It almost cost us three points, but only because they have like this NFL legged kicker who almost who had it from distance. But um, and then the third one would ironically was in a situation where even we were surprised Clayton was throwing the ball in that situation. Midway apparently, the, apparently that was a mistake. That was a, uh, a miscommunication. Right, right. And I think because it was like e- even we understand midway through the fourth quarter, up three touchdowns. You just even if you just take a knee three times, like no one's complaining. You're just trying to bleed clock. So, but even still, we all groaned when that happened. But we were up three touchdowns at that point. And yes, they scored, but we still had a firm lead at that point. And then you got the arm punt and then the one early on. And I think, like I said earlier, the other big part of it is um, Clayton's healthier below the waist than he's been all year. And it's just, you saw it on two major plays. Yeah, the th- touchdown that, that, run. that juke um, that he he made uh, to get that second touchdown was just gorgeous. And Ooh, you know, shades, of, shades of King Coulter. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like to, to turn what looked like a sack into avoiding that then you know juking the the defender just out of his jock strap and then you know that dive to get into the end zone was just beautiful and you know something that we haven't seen from Clayton so far this year and you know his knee is definitely feeling better so so here's what's interesting to me and, and it's not as much that play um I think it, but I do think it's indicative of his of his growing confidence not just in his knee but in his play overall and I want to compare and contrast against the Rutgers game the previous week because there were a lot of real similar situations in the way in the way Thorson was performing. He had a move early on in that game where uh, there was a free rusher coming on the outside um, toward him and just you know juked. He kind of juked his way further up in the pocket and the guy like dove right past him. And that was in the first quarter against Rutgers when when Thorson was uh, clicking on all cylinders, but. You know, as we know that in that game, he started to get really inaccurate. He was spraying the ball. He seemed, he he didn't seem to be following through with his body as he was throwing the ball. In this game, we saw his accuracy uh, was also not spectacular. He, he threw a couple uh, balls behind guys or I think Cam Green had a, had a kind of circus catch um, in the, uh, on a crossing route, the, a couple of deep throws I always struggle to know if the deep throws are purposely underthrown or, or if they're not, but uh, he just, he wasn't super accurate. He, he put the ball over, over a couple guys' heads, et cetera, et cetera, but he didn't let it get to him this week. And he maintained his, his confidence, his focus, um, the plays you referenced that he made with his legs. And, and I go back, we've done this many times, but I go back to what Dan Persa said about like, somebody's just got to step up and make a play. And that's what I saw Thorson doing and really seemed to, um, blossom in that way in this game for for the first time probably all season and I think one of the other things too is I mean obviously like it goes with the complexion of the game 
and Wisconsin had a couple. I mean, and, and this was the flip side of, of the first part that we were saying, right? I mean, if if those are Thorson's turnovers and, you know, by extension, Northwestern's turnovers, Wisconsin's turnovers were just brutal. I mean, I think they had two inside their own 20 or at least one inside their own 20 and one inside their own 30. Um, two, two inside the 20, yeah, yeah. like the yeah. 19 and the 15. And we scored on those. And I think the other part of the complexion too, right, is I think if you came away frustrated about anything from Northwestern's perspective, um, it was our failure to score on quarterback sneaks from inside the <laughs> five-yard line in this game. The flip side of it is, and obviously I'm a bigger proponent of this than most because I'm such a big drinker of field position Kool-Aid, especially when you're talking about teams with good defenses. They were just a, a mess on offense in a lot of ways in this game. And if the worst case scenario is you've got them backed up all the way inside their own five, like you can play that kind of football because that's one of the other things in this game. Yes, I know when you add up all the yards at the end of the game, um, the, it like it's really important to realize though that the Hankowitz mile cushion came out in a big way in the fourth quarter when we were just trying to bleed clock um and cone got a bunch of his passing yards at that point in the game up until that point they had done very little running or passing and um to me you know that'll be again it's like the turnovers are the single thing you can point to and be like that was crushing but the thing I'm going to remember from having been in the stadium is Wisconsin's just failure to move the ball in this game when it mattered. And that's all credit to our defense. I mean, you talk about field position. Um, you know, the Wisconsin's average field position started on their 30 yard line. And we started on, on average, you put all the drives together on our 40 yard line. So, you know, just starting drives 10 yards closer to the end zone is made, made a huge difference. Also, they were four of 12 on third down. So, you know, they, they were not able to uh, maintain drives, keep things going. And we were eight of 17. So, you know, not quite. I mean, that's a little bit under 50%, which, you know, you, you love to see, um, you know, could be a little higher. Sure. But, uh, you know, when you're looking at 50% versus 25% third down conversions, that's, that's huge. Well, we, we talked about it going in that, and and th- I think this would have been true even with Alex Hornibrook in the game. Now, now, granted, he would have been a bit more dangerous, but um, they don't have a bevy of receiving weapons. Uh, they've got Danny Davis. That's, that's kind of their one proven wideout right now. Jake Ferguson, the, it was funny, the announcers were talking him up, and he's had a couple of decent games like earlier in the year, but he, he is not Troy, Troy Fumagalli. Fumagalli. Yeah. yeah. Um, and at one point I saw uh, Montre Hardage was in one-on-one coverage on him and just shutting him down. I was thinking, like, yeah, I put mean, a, a, t- a tight a end pin. shouldn't be coverable by a corner. Um, but put a pin in that for for weeks later. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and that's, that's a little bit where I'm going here, but we knew that the recipe to success here was just sell out against the run on early downs. Cause it, and especially when they went to, to Jack Cone, you knew that on first and probably second down that they were going to be handing it off to Taylor. Uh, the, the defense did a great job um, stuffing Taylor. Uh, uh, the defensive line against their offensive line was an imperfe- a perfe- a impressive performance. And we put him in, in, 
bad situations on third down and, and a young QB. And even if it were Hornybrook, not so young a QB, you, you know, we got pressure, we attacked. Um, it was it was textbook. It was exactly how you would have drawn it up. Now, what's really weird to me is that Jonathan Taylor only carried the ball 11 times. Four of those were on the very first drive. He, he at the, the smallest number of carries he's gotten in a game this year is against Michigan. He only had 17 carries. He still got over 100 yards uh, against the Wolverines. I will be really surprised if there's not an injury report later this week that talks about Taylor being questionable or um, banged up in some way going into their next game. It's just it's just kind of stunning the way he looked. Um, and maybe it was simply that with the two fumbles, they, they were like, all right, he doesn't have it today. Let's just, you know, put him on ice for a little bit. But we also barely saw Taiwan Deal, uh, who went over 100 against Nebraska. Groshek, I like, I don't know where that dude came from, but his average of 9.7, that's not out of character for him, out of character for him. I think he's generally their third down back and gets a lot of like draw opportunities and those and did, of things. And did against us too. That's yep. where the yards came from. Yep, yeah, exactly. So, um, so, I mean, this was, this was exactly how you would, how you would draw it up, uh, going into this game and it worked, it worked really well. I, you know, the only thing knowing what we have on the table the next couple weeks is is teams that are probably going to have a couple more levers they can pull in terms of adjustments uh, in in the way their offenses are structured. But but man, it, like RD looks phenomenal right now. I mean, I it's interesting. You know, I I can't put Taylor in the doghouse. I mean, he he's had has said fumble issues uh, in the past, but um, you know. To, to completely go away from him, I, I think a lot of it is the fact that they were playing from behind. The fact that we were able to get out early and, you know, extend the lead puts Wisconsin in a place that they are not used to being in. They are not a team that is designed to come back because uh, you need to do that throwing the ball. And, and they're a run-first team. It's really, really hard to make up a deficit when all you're doing is running the ball. That drains the clock. You're, you know, it... We were able to get them off of their playbook early on. And I, I think that, coupled with the fumbles, coupled with possible injury, I mean, we don't we don't know anything. We didn't hear anything. Nothing was said you know, during or after the game. But um, like you were saying, Eric, it, it wouldn't be surprising to hear him you know, being a little bit nicked up moving forward. But I think just a combination of all those factors really, you know, put the – you know, everything just in our favor and, you know, it turned out just a dominating performance by the cats. Yeah. Well, and I guess, you know, I said, it seemed like they didn't, they didn't, they weren't able to adjust and maybe I guess they did try right to your point, Sam, they moved away from the run game. Um, Cone was extremely inaccurate and just clearly was not comfortable throwing the ball uh, on anything other than, than short underneath routes. I think, I think midway through the game, he was maybe averaging like 2.4, yards per attempt. I mean, it was, everything was a check down and underneath. And I'm sure they had coached him that way and were banking on their defense. And that's, I guess that's the other big story in this game is, is what we did to their defense. Sure. And I think, you know, before we get to that part, I think a big part of it too, is it's not just running, but we talked about them before the way that we run and, and just to touch on some, the way that they run versus other teams. And I think, it's important to drill down on this and, and not to go too deep into the statistical weeds, but I know a lot of the listeners at home are probably sitting back being like, what is it about our defense? Like, why is our defense so good? 
Um, what one thing can you point to? I mean, my instinct says defensive line, but I think it's actually a little bit more complex than that. I would still hold that the defensive line is the single biggest part of it. Um, but basically, if you look at the advanced stats, the big thing about our defense is we do um, just about everything pretty well, I think. And, and you know, this was his big coming out party in terms of performance and Scuzz already mentioned it and praise from Fitz but like don't underestimate the value of Montre Hardage that guy is a bell cow out there um second number two corner for us has been a work in progress at best this season and Montre's out there just just slinging it just getting it done as the number one corner that has a big effect because if you look right now our Rushing S&P Plus right now is 31st in the nation. Passing S&P Plus is 37th in the nation. But that's a great bounce. And that's why overall our S&P Plus for defense is 26th in the country on the same level as Florida. Um, so, but when you think about that rushing S&P Plus of 31, you have to factor the Nebraska game into. And the Nebraska game had a very different character than all the other games teams have tried to run on us because Nebraska ran that read option. And we've seen our teams get killed by it before. The idea of a speed concept, it's all about misdirection. You've got a really fast quarterback. Wisconsin doesn't do any of that. They throw the ball into the line. And if you could break rushing S&P Plus down by our performance against teams that try to run that way, I'm sure it's much, much better. So... That was the thing, and like Scuzz said, I mean, you've got Cone. They were just neutered back there. You got this guy breaking in. I think it became clear to them very early on that the best thing they could do is just protect him as much as possible um, because they weren't able to run the ball. I mean, and again, Groshek had 68 yards, 9.7, but like Scuzz said, I mean, those were irregular yards to say the least. And this is a team that doesn't have Jazz Peavy running jet sweeps. You know, I mean, that's what killed us two years ago, right? So, um, they're, they're really missing Quintez Cephas. Right, exactly. They don't. They need that speed guy. They need the burner. They need some sort of diversity. They don't have it. I mean, I, I texted you guys earlier, but I mean, Purdue is incredibly well-equipped defensively to deal with what Wisconsin's doing offensively right now. It's going to be a rough road for the Badgers down the stretch here. Um, but again, I... Like I said, I mean, I... Let's, you know, I'll give you guys plenty of platform to pivot to the offense here, but I think, you know... Bowser is the one guy we haven't talked about enough. I, I was game. I was just about to go there. I mean, major pirate booty to Isaiah Bowser. You know, he went out there against a Wisconsin defense that maybe not as good as it has been in past years, but I mean, they're uh, they are a stout bunch. Thirty four carries, one hundred and seventeen yards, uh, and a touchdown. He put in work, and like he was moving piles. He was, you know, had that strength, that power that, uh, you know, we haven't had so far this season. You know, I, I like what you guys were saying. You know, his running style is much more suited to what our offense is dialed in for than, say, a Solomon Vault or a John Moten. Yeah, or, or Drake Anderson. Drake Anderson, yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah, he, um, you know, I was I was very quick after the, the Rutgers game to say not so fast, my friends on uh, <laughs> yeah. on Bowser just just because that defense is is really terrible and we didn't quite know yet. But the thing you can say about Wisconsin's defense, they might be banged up in the secondary quite a bit. They've had a lot of drop off there from last year, 
That's how other teams have generally attacked them and done well against them. Their linebackers are phenomenal. And they didn't and, stop having Olive Sogopalu in the middle either. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, yeah, their giant DT who's who apparently had knee pain and went out like he was. We talked about Blake Hans being out there on a bum wheel a few weeks back, and that, that was a kind of a similar situation, I think, for him. But I mean, to watch Bowser initiate and drive through contact with with these Wisconsin linebackers was a thing to behold. Oh my goodness. Um, like just a, a very, very powerful running style. It, and, and honestly, like we, I think I went back and forth with Lou, uh, uh, Louis Vasher, um, Vacare. not Vasher. Thank you. I went back and forth with Louis Vacare, uh, of Wildcat report on Twitter. And he was quick to point out, like Bowser is very, very different from the running backs we've had recently. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time we had a true power back, um, I mean, maybe, maybe like Tyrell Sutton had some some power elements to him, but he was more of a pinball. Um, Mark was was he, such a speedster. Noah maybe Heron. Noah Heron. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the the last guy I could think of that was really, uh, really someone that would truck through tacklers. And the way Bowser, the way Bowser runs is um, is is great. I, and and Sam, I, I I've been I've been fascinated on this this whole like running back style thing, and I've been reading a ton of different different takes here and there. And one of the other things I, I, I heard uh, another coach talking about Bowser is he, he makes a very quick decision. He, he just plants and goes. That's what JJ did. That's part of what made JJ so successful is he, he was, he was quick enough with his first step that he could be patient, wait for a hole to develop. And then he would just plant and go. And it worked really, really well for him. And again, I think this offense has gotten to used to that type of runner. And it works really well with Bowser. What he maybe lacks in um, lateral uh, misdirection moves that JJ had, he makes up for in, in just his, his physicality in running through players. And he's listed as the starter this week. No oars about it. Um, fascinated to see how he plays against the, the two defenses that we'll see in the next two weeks. But you know, you feel confident for the first time this year since Larkin has gone down. You feel confident handing the ball off. For sure. And I think the biggest part of it, too, is he gets four yards on two-yard plays. That's yep. the huge part of it. And it's like three, like five yards on three-yard plays, six yards or longer, whatever, fine. But there were so many times in this game where I was like, Oh, second and six. Okay. <laughs> like just a lot, a lot of that being like, well, that's manageable. And then you realize how little of that we've had this season. Really? I mean, we, we had the Purdue game and then just went out into the desert for so long, but there were so many second and eights, second and nines. And you're like, Oh, I can see Clayton out there being like, wow, I've got all kinds of stuff I can run now. <laughs> um, I listened to two different interviews with Bowser and in both of them, he mentioned, and this is something that should make your heart sing as a Northwestern fan, that pad level is a problem for him, and the coaches get on him all the time about it. If you go back and watch high school highlights of him, it's like watching Eddie George highlights. It's just this upright runner dragging guys. Um, and, you know, <laughs> and of course. Man, he does not look like that now, though. Yeah. No, that's the thing, and it's been a point of emphasis for him to get the pads down. And I think he's, like, on his best runs, you can see him just leaning into contact. And I think it's an area that you can see he's – it's an area of growth for him, and he's gotten better at it. And I still think he's going to get better at it. But it's just – it's it's so great because we all know, I think, bottom line, long term, that 
that things are that the bread is buttered by Clayton Thorson and this receiver core. But man, is it more workable when you can get three or four yards on first down instead of one or zero. It just opens up all those different mesh routes and all those intermediate things that we try to run. Um, and we're headed into two two great defenses the next two weeks, and it's going to be a huge thing if we can get just four or even three yards on first down the way he was able to for us on Saturday. I mean, what's hey, the, what's the stat like the you know, a, a good first down play gets four yards, right? I mean, it's because you're, you're, you know what I'm talking about with this, right? I think success, well, success so it rate? depends who you, if you talk about like DVOA that the football outsiders do, they, they say success rate is uh, half or more of the yards you need for a first down or converting for a first down. So they would say five yards on first down and then I guess, you know, three, three on yards second. on second and five. Um, but f- four is – I think there are probably some models that say four is still a successful running play. I'm not I'm not 100% sure. Um, I like the DVOA con- construct. But, like, I mean, you know, second and six, to John's point, I feel pretty good about that. I tell you what I also feel pretty good about is the, the wide receiver core. And we've, we've been making this point all season that we have so much more diversity in that group and seeing what – seeing the wrinkles that are starting to emerge with JJ Jefferson and Kyrick McGowan and just, just the options and the mismatches those guys uh, afford the offense, the touchdown pass to McGowan over the middle on a, like on a, what was it like a 25 yard post play over the middle, um, dropping it in over the defender in the back of the end zone. When's the last time you guys saw Northwestern throw that TD pass? Uh, It's been a minute. Tony Jones against Minnesota. I think it was no. I think it was 2010. Persa to Dunsmore. Uh, yeah, like I haven't seen us. I haven't seen us attack uh, a defense like that in forever. Like with like with. I feel like with Jones, it was more like the Skoranek play, like the 50 yard kind of deep bomb. Okay, but like rarely have have I seen us throw to a receiver that has beaten his man and lead him in that, you know, kind of like touch, touch kind of way. Like it was, oh, it was spectacular. And then it's starting to use, uh, was that, was that McGowan? We had in a jet sweep at one point, the reverse. Uh, yeah. Yeah. On the reverse, uh, which like, but that's you your could, points. Diversity of use. Right? Yes. Yeah. Not the, the fa- same like, thing. Not the same guy. Like, right. Like using speed. And, and I believe too, I do believe that, that from a play calling standpoint, this was a game that was circled a long way off. I think there were plays that were saved for this game, which mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, yeah, just a guy like McGowan, whether it be McGowan or Triple J or, you know, Berkeley Holman who got in for a play. But, like, these guys, you put them out there and then you, you – right, there's diversity. You use the speed in different ways. And, uh, yeah, as long as we're t- – and. And to the to the point about the play calling too, right? You had those two great plays. You had the 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 play that ended up being the interception, but you had a bomb to Cam Green. Like great, yeah. Come out, come out in a package and send Cam Green deep into single coverage and take a shot. I'm fine with that. He's an athlete. If you win that or you get a pass interference, like that's a great play. Like test that out. And, and um, Green's going to get most of those. Like, I mean, when you're sending Cam Green deep, he's going to outsize any defender who's going to be covering him at that point. And uh, to your points, guys, it just didn't work this time. But I, I like that, you know, every time. 
And as long as we're talking about giant guys outsizing people and making amazing plays, we should pirate booty, pirate booty. Yeah, we should hand out a little to Bennett. Um, We were, I I will say this, never doubted on that replay. Uh, I was amongst a group of people was saying, I see that replay. That ball doesn't move. It can touch the ground. But man, once Bennett, once he gets that those arms, man, the strength, just the strength to be able to one arm that. And, and bring that ball in and not have it move, I was just aghast. I mean, he's just the athleticism of that guy is just staggering. Um, and that's a guy that, you know, you've got one-on-one coverage with him downfield. Just throw it up every time. I don't think we've ever had a receiver who's better in the air than he is. Um, I mean, the the slightly underthrown deep ball is is just perfection for him because he can he can move to it, he can adjust himself, and... Yeah, he's got those strong hands and, and long arms and just gets to that ball before the defender does. And it's I think when we previewed previewed the team at the beginning of the season, we said Skoranek is going to catch like a like a 30 to 40 yard pass every single game. And it's been pretty true. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just I'm, I'm glad that we went to him so many times this game. Like I think he had four. Well, maybe three longer balls and, and one uh, more more mid range ball. Um I don't have target numbers in front of me, but I know, you know, between him, Green, and Nagel, like, that's the, the far, far majority uh, of, of targets that are going to the receivers. But, yeah, just uh, a fantastic showing from him, and especially coming off of um, the last game where he went out injured, it's it's very nice to see him healthy. Uh, he took a what I thought was a bit of a cheap shot from a Rutgers player in the, in the lower back, and um, having him health, healthy is critical here for a stretch run. Yeah, I mean, just pirate booty to Bowser to Skoranek, and uh, we got to give some out on the defensive side. Hardage Island, baby. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, man, that guy like he really he really put on a show for the NFL scouts uh, on Saturday in terms of his one on one ability. He shut down Danny Davis multiple times. Davis was like head on a swivel looking for a flag pretty much every time, and Hardage. Hardage was was playing. I mean, just enough physicality to disrupt stuff, but not enough to get a call. And um, just looks good. We're gonna we're gonna need the best that he's got uh, this ne- these next two weeks as well. So we do need to discuss. Um, you know, we mentioned it early on, but the, the other two games that uh, broke our way that you know now we are in sole possession of first place in the West with. A little bit of cushion too. This is just absolutely crazy. Penn- just like we drew it up. Oh baby. yeah. Oh. Um, you know, Penn State holding on. You know, Iowa had opportunities to come back and win that game, but uh, you know, Penn State was able to get it done, and then Michigan State uh, turning it around and shutting down Purdue. Um, you know, we're sitting here at five and one, and you've got you know Wisconsin three and two. We have the tiebreaker over. Iowa's three and two. We see them in a couple weeks. Uh, Purdue's three and two. We've got the tiebreaker over them. This is a rarefied air that, you know, we, I, I don't think I expected at this point in the season. Well, we, we said it last week, like this game against Wisconsin was the biggest game that we've had in six seasons. We've passed that test. We've got another one on, well, we've got a massive game this weekend for totally different reasons. Well, no, and I mean, let, let, let's talk about the, the, it's the, the biggest situation, the biggest, now the most important game, you know, for, for Northwestern. Is Iowa at Purdue? Right, right. Boiler exactly. up. <laughs> well, 
I mean, it for, is, for, but it's also like the game that we have in two weeks with Iowa is also extremely important. I guess to your point is if Iowa loses to Purdue, then we could lose to Iowa and and, uh, and right. still only need to win two, like one of Minnesota and in, in Illinois. Like if Iowa be, if Iowa loses to Purdue, right. we just need to win two of our last um, two of our last three. Right. I mean, in theory, we could. I mean, it's it's all it's all just so crazy that you know on you know in the waning minutes before we head out to play the number three team in the nation, we're going to be you know anticipating sitting in the parking lot tailgating, anticipating the you know crazy news because if Purdue who took a hiccup on the road to Michigan State but goes back to the same atmosphere where they whooped on Ohio State um, and can get a result against Iowa it's it's just titanic for us and if not we're going to be looking ahead to that trip to Iowa City but um yeah i mean it, it's just so weird the stakes two weeks from now and then just everything surrounding this. I mean, this Notre Dame game is for pride. It's for recruiting. It's for area supremacy. It's to knock the hated Irish out of the playoff picture. Potentially Um, it's for a potential three game winning streak. It's for all of these things that have nothing to do with Northwestern going to Indianapolis to play for the big 10 title. And it's just, it's so weird. Yeah, I mean, and not, not, I definitely am not wanting to give short shrift to this game against Notre Dame because it is a huge opportunity. You know, we're on ESPN, um, Sean McDonough and Todd Blackledge calling it. And this is, this is huge for the fans, you know, and obviously for the team as well. But, you know, they're going into this game with a we have nothing to lose mentality because, you know, in terms of their goal of getting to Indianapolis, this doesn't affect it in the least. It's such a weird situation to be in because I like I'm simultaneously calculating two different like two different things. So on one hand, this is uh, the highest ranked opponent we've had at Ryan Field since number one Ohio State in 2006. We haven't beaten a top three team I think since the since the 50s. 50s. Um, and it is hated rival Notre Dame who is finally coming back to Evanston. I don't think Notre Dame's been to Evanston since the 70s. At the same time, the following week, we will have a shot to effectively wrap up the Big Ten West Championship. It'll be, I mean, this is the first time we've been in contention, in contention for the for a Big Ten Championship since the year 2000. This late in the season? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, no, like, like outside of the second week of October, like, or like the second game of the, of the conference schedule. I, like it's astounding when when you think about that. I mean, I feel like as close as we've come was 2015. Um, because even in 2012, like we we lost early enough that it just it wasn't plausible. Um, and like like these two things, thank goodness they like they're not they're not mutually exclusive, right? Like we can do both stuff. We can knock off Notre Dame and still come back the following week and beat Iowa and uh, and play this all out. Like this this doesn't have to be a it's not quite like it's it's different from any other time we've played Notre Dame in recent history too because in in 95 it was what the opening game of the year yep. right so like the, like these stakes have not been experienced by fans uh nor players at Northwestern probably ever it's really weird and also really awesome 
it's so strange too because and we talked about it at the beginning of the season that for Notre Dame the worst case you know that for Notre Dame uh, you know or for us the bad situation would be coming into this game needing the win for bowl eligibility. The good situation would be to be in such a great situation, such a great place on the season that we were pursuing other goals. And we're sort of in the middle because it's not like we've totally locked up a bowl. We're in awesome shape for it right now, a win over Minnesota or Illinois, and we're going to be bowling now. Um, but obviously there are much bigger goals on the horizon for us. The thing I love in this game is this is a terrifying game for Notre Dame. If we win, awesome. We celebrate. It's a massive upset, and we move on to this goal of Indianapolis. You, but you, Notre... you think we get a, a better field rush than what was sort of pitiful against uh, Wisconsin there? Well, oh, we field rushed against Wisconsin? Yeah, oh. it, was, it was... We oh. did the slow we, trickle let's, of... Well, let's oh. put it this way. Let's put it this way. Everyone who was in the student section ended up out on the field. Let's get a few more people in the student section for the Notre Dame game, <laughs> and then you'll have a more impressive rushing of the field. But I'm just – Notre Dame doesn't have conference. This is their conference, and this is terrifying for them. If they lose, they're probably out of the playoff picture. I mean, it's not guaranteed, but most likely they can wave bye-bye to the CFP if they lose to us. If they lose to us, it's a three-game losing streak to Northwestern. And then you add up all the Chicago alumni, everything like that. Like every Notre Dame fan's going to have this held over their head indefinitely. Um, there's just so much riding on it. And obviously, you know, we want to achieve all of those things. But there are just bigger things on the horizon for Northwestern. And I think the best situation for us and the worst situation for Notre Dame is if Purdue takes care of business in the afternoon against Iowa and we walk into this game with a little bit of a cushion, just knowing that we can focus on just peeing in their Cheerios um, <laughs> without thinking about having to go on the next day. Or, I'm sorry, Lucky Charms, my mistake. Uh, without having to um, go on next week and, and have a do-or-die game the following week. And obviously we can't bank on that, but um, that's the best-case scenario for us. I mean, so so let's talk about this game. I mean, uh, you know, Notre Dame comes in. They look very, very, very good. They are undefeated, you know, ranked number three in the country. But, you know, they have shown some weaknesses. I mean, they're they're not a complete team by any stretch of the imagination. Um, oh, I, I don't, I would, I would oh, argue I'd say, against I'd that. I'd say, I would say complete is what they are. I'd say, like, you know, what they aren't is just like, stunning take your breath away but i would say they make up for that by being complete okay that would be my take i mean I but know. they they did you know pit played them super tough and you know pit for is sure you know pit is what pit is um kind of a similar situation to northwestern um but you know you know, well i think I, I think what's fair to say is that i they don't have any glaring weaknesses Right, but their strengths are also not super clear because while their defense has been much ballyhooed coming into the season, sure. they haven't really shut anybody out. They've given up, you know, somewhere on the order of twenty points pretty much every game. Um, they also haven't played a, a an offense in the top twenty <laughs> all year. Um, we've already played two, so like there, there's some interesting stuff going there. But but they don't. 
they don't have an obvious weakness and they have some really scary matchups for sure, us. Sure, absolutely. For sure. I think the the issue, it's so weird, you know, the fact that Notre Dame is third in the nation and if you look at all the teams that are kind of jostling for position with them, I mean, obviously they're following Alabama and Clemson, who for my money are in a totally different class than well, everyone else in the nation there, there's right Alabama, right. then there's Clemson. Big drop-off, big drop-off, and then there's and everyone, then there's else, everyone right. else. But if you <laughs> juxtapose them with like Ohio State, Oklahoma, LSU, those teams, I to me, I'm like, those are teams that are maddeningly inconsistent and capable of utterly dominant football, right? You catch any of those three teams on the right day, they could beat you 50 to nothing, right? All but, I, would, I would argue, though, the difference between those teams and Notre Dame is that those teams are really good on one side of the ball. Yes, for and sure. And have a clear question or weakness on the other side. Frankly, I'd put Clemson in that bucket as well. And that's like that's the weird thing about right, the Irish. Right, where it's like, but like all of those teams – when like the Pistons are all firing in that one area, they're just so oh, yeah. flat out dominant. Head and, and shoulders, like, right? And then you've got Notre Dame sitting there, who's just like good at everything. They're just solid, no weaknesses. They're good at every position: good quarterback, good wide receivers, good line, good you know, it's good running back. Um, and and they're just kind of chugging along. But like Sammy said, I think the the pit game is one certainly to circle. Um, they, of all the teams they've played, the only defense they've played better than ours is Michigan. And it's really not that close. Um, if you look at S and P plus it's, it's us. So, and Michigan, they did not have success. I mean, that was just a gross football game on both sides with teams who were about on their way to making plenty of adjustments and becoming vastly different football teams on both sides of the ball. Um, and since then, I think to me, the single thing that I think is priority A for us in this game, and I think we can do it, um, is stopping Dexter Williams and their running game. I think it's Ian Book is great. Again, this is a team with no real weakness, but I think if you look at at least since he's come back, Dexter Williams has been played the last four games. In games where he had at least 100 yards, and really I think in all of, in three of them he had 150 to 170, Stanford, Virginia Tech, and Navy, Notre Dame smoked all of those teams. And Pitt, he was totally stonewalled. Pitt shut him down. And in shutting him down, even though Ian Book had a pretty good game throwing the ball for Notre Dame, um, it's Pitt was able to play them really tight and keep that game down in the muck. And that's going to be, I think, our hope in this game too. Um but obviously, I think Notre Dame, as Scuzz alluded to a while back in this pod, has a very dynamic, multifaceted offense. And everything feeds everything else. So if they're able to run the ball, it feeds the pass, which feeds the run. And they're able to get a bunch of things going and just keep hitting you with punches. Um, I think our, our hope is to, to make them a one-dimensional team. Yeah, I, I mean... That's the goal, right? And, and Ian Book doesn't have that much experience. So he played in the bowl last year. He played, I guess, off and on during last season. He's been pretty good for them this year. Um, his completion percent is astronomical. With like, <laughs> it's around like 80 or something like that? Yeah, yeah uh, 76.5%. Um, almost nine yards per attempt, uh, 13 TDs to four picks, like – he looks pretty solid at QB, but what makes their offense go is Dexter Williams. You nailed it, John. And Williams is a really talented running back. Uh, he weighs in at, at 
at 215. So this is a bigger back than say Jonathan Taylor at, at Wisconsin. He's a much more physical runner. I think he's, he's like a cross between the, the speed and, and agility of a, uh, Jonathan Taylor, probably not quite as good with the power of a Devin, divine, divine, divine Zigbo at, at Nebraska, who gave us a lot of trouble. He's, he's going to be a handful. Um, I mean, based on how we played last week, like like on paper, Wisconsin's got a better O line than Notre Dame. Based on how we played last week, like you're right, John, we can contain this running game. Um, Pitt did a great job. Uh, Stanford, their defense is not what it was. Um, Navy doesn't have much of a defense. The Virginia Tech game is the game that gives me a little bit of of kind of pause and scare. Looking at Notre Dame's schedule and also knowing that it was coming off of that huge win on the road that they had kind of a, a letdown scenario against Pittsburgh, but um, containing, containing Williams is going to be priority numeral uno. The second problem, and this is where I, I really start to worry about our ability to win this game is uh, miles Boykin and chase Claypool. Yep. These are the two wide receivers that um, are going to ter- terrorize two, us Two being the operative word. They are, yeah, so A, two, because <laughs> Montreal Hardage can only cover one of them, but they're also 6'4", 230. Oof. This is the exact type of receiver that gives Northwestern tons of problems. Physical, large guys that can be uh, downfield threats and targets and win uh, one-on-one battles. See, they're see gonna, Felton they're Davis. Gonna, they're going to yep. bully our secondary. It is the it is all going to be about our ability to disrupt book and make him uncomfortable in the pocket. If we can't do that, um, I'm confident Notre Dame's going to pick us apart offensively. If we can, if we can get in books head a little bit and, and do some things in that space. Um, that's, that's how we have a chance to win this game. Yeah. I think again, just echoing what you said, I think the, the worry for me is if you go back a couple of weeks, I think Trey Williams, who, again, he's had a big sack, had a big forced fumble, had a fumble recovery against Wisconsin. We've been able to hide him a little bit out there because of just the nature of the teams that we've played, the natures of the issues we've been working, they've been working through in some of these offenses. But with booking these wideouts, I think you're going to see a lot of times when they're in third and long yardage, you know, third and seven, third and eight. Um, and then book is sitting back there seeing where his favorable matchups are. And that's what worries me. And I think, you know, we've, we've gotten it to an extent, but not the way that we like, but this is the game for the pass rush to show up. <laughs> we, a couple sacks in this game, um, the ability to get to book would be a huge factor. And, and the other part of it too is, um, a quarterback like Book is perfectly fine going up against that Hankowitz cushion. Um, he'll just he'll just feed on that all day. A guy with eighty percent completion percentage, like he'll take those five five yard unders all day. He's not going to miss. Like those are going to be completed passes all day. So at <clears throat> at some point, corners are going to have to get more aggressive. Packages are going to have to adjust. Um, it's going to be a game of adjustment. Um, as far as their defense goes, I mean their defense is pretty amazing it what are we going to need to do to to move the ball um you know how, how do we score on them they gonna are they are they gonna fumble on their own 20 a couple times that would be I that mean, would be helpful hope so but can't can't bank on that i mean they, so their defense is good but again they haven't played many good offenses i mean virginia tech was the best offense they played uh based on s&p plus at number 24 
Michigan's number two at number 29. I feel pretty good about the way our defense did against Michigan. Uh, Purdue is top 20. Wisconsin's top 20. Um, Duke, when they were awesome, was a lot better than where they sit now at 50 after all the, the injuries have ravaged that team and they've lost the plot. I, I, I like our... I, I just I just think we've faced a difficult diff, more blah, blah, blah. I just think we've faced a more difficult level of talent um and I don't think that we're gonna be scared by that in this space now you know we saw what Michigan's defense did to us I think that they're better than Notre Dame Notre Dame doesn't have a player like Chase Winovich well thank God they, for that yeah they, I I don't I don't I don't think that they've got the the terrorizing <laughs> types of defensive ends and stuff. I mean, correct me if I'm if I'm missing somebody, John. But no, I mean just, that's that was my thought. They're really solid everywhere. They hit really hard. They tackle really well. Um, they play physical. But when you look at what's emerged with our running game, like two weeks ago, I would have thought we got no we got no chance because we're gonna we're gonna throw Solomon Vault into the line and we're gonna throw. Uh, you know, it's going to be all on the passing game, and that's just kind of like through four quarters. That's a recipe for for problems. I feel like we've got, like we've got a bit more of a balanced attack, and and again, you look at you look at the quarterbacks that they've played: Wake Forest, Vanderbilt, Pitt. I mean, Stan, Stanford's QB has been playing pretty well this year. Um, Virginia Tech they played the backup, not Josh John Josh Jackson. I like they just they haven't played a guy like Thorson he's healthy now. I just, I feel like there's, there's some potential. I think this game is, is far more likely to resemble the one we played in South Bend a couple of years ago with a lot of scoring from both sides than it is to be a really tight defensive battle. I just, I just think that both offenses have got some opportunities and will take advantage of them. It's interesting. I mean, I, I would, my instinct says the opposite, but I get your I get your line of reasoning here. I mean, I think for me, I'm like that's asking a lot of our offense. I think yeah, yes, that, it is. The, yes, it is. The, the I mean, I'll say one thing for Notre Dame too is they cover well. They have good corners. Julian Love yeah. is great. Um, and again, you're not talking about um, you know it, it just he's just a good cover man. He's the Montre Hardage type. Like it's not a guy who's getting an interception every game. He just covers well. And I would expect Notre Dame is going to roll these guys up and and try to make us do something. I, again, emergence of a guy like Bowser, if he's able to get those three, four yards on first down, you could easily see a situation where, you know, it's it's those unpretty routes. It's Cam Green having a big game, catching the ball, you know, with Bowser turning out three or four yards a carry. And, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, this is – I don't think this is – I think it's a very good defense, not a dominating defense. And I think that there's a path to moving the ball. Some nice field position would really help. It would be nice if we had a kicker. Uh, that seems to be kind of up in the air right now. Um, all, all, all indications are the, the luck and ball injury – wasn't bad. He should be good to go this weekend. Um, Hope Knockwood. Yeah, um, I mean uh, the the fact that Charlie Kubander they had to run back to campus uh, to get his pads, and they had to like <laughs> they had to get an RA to open his room to get his cleats. Um, he was not prepared to. I mean, he he thought he was not playing, and you know, Luckenbach I mean, is physically capable. Uh, yeah, he, he, he could kick extra points. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think he's got more than. 
a 30, 35 yard range. And, uh, Luckenbach should be okay, hopefully. I'm not sure what happened, uh, pregame, but, you know, he tweaked himself and, you know, couldn't go. So, yeah. And, I, I mean, it's so obviously you'd hope to be able to count on something like that. But yeah, I mean, I, again, it's like, it's a team that does everything well. It's their dynamic passing game that has me the most worried. I'm less worried about the defense. I'm less worried about their ability to run the ball. They are very good in these areas. Do not think I'm discounting these these things. But there's a reason why this is a single-digit line as of right now. It's because people think that these are fairly matched teams. That Northwestern is kind of a version of us doing everything a little bit better in every facet than we do so um you know i i hope you know it's not one that we need but it's one where you could see the right situation coming it's the beginning of of a very interesting stretch for notre dame where they have this game then after that they have a home game against florida state that should be eminently winnable yeah much easier than this yeah if not a cakewalk Followed by a game against Syracuse at Yankee Stadium that may be very difficult. Which, if that doesn't sum up the state of college football this year, I don't know what 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 does. Um, and, and, and then, of course, their trip to USC. And let's not forget that you know they are coming off of the Navy game. Granted, Navy did not you know really challenge them in in the ways that we kind of were hoping that they would. Um, but you know, coming back from from San Diego, you know, travel. I mean, they're they're putting a lot of uh, frequent flyer miles up with all all of their traveling that they're doing, and um, it's it's a it's not it's not just the trip, but it's the preparation for Navy is always weird, um, right? Because it's, they're unlike any other team, and it's it's a it's it's a mental challenge if more than anything else. And I think coming to Ryan Field now, it's it's going to be probably sixty percent Notre Dame fans. I think so. I I heard that Northwestern sold this game out without selling a single single game ticket um so it's all season ticket holders and season ticket holders that have bought tickets uh before they went on sale quote unquote to the public or whatever so i don't know what to think about that hopefully some some um benefactor uh with a northwestern degree came in and bought up a bunch of seats so that notre dame couldn't but i know a bunch of people from notre dame that are going to this game um be they students or family members or or colleagues or, or otherwise, so you know more than any other game, I think we're gonna we're gonna be pretty well outnumbered. But this is not an exciting stadium. Um, yes, it's a night game. Yes, it's on TV. It, but it's it's this is not playing at Clemson or at Florida State or some of the other you know crazy night game situations that Notre Dame finds themselves in, and that will be a mental challenge as well. At the same time, like they didn't maybe get beat up by Navy. We didn't get beat up by Wisconsin yeah, for once. Absolutely. Right. You know, the, the, the relative ease that we won that game, you know, I, I did we have anyone like really get knocked out with injury? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, relatively speaking. And I think Fitz made the point after the game that J.B. Butler was in a better place than he's been in a while. And he was able to really participate um, and, and make a, a meaningful contribution and, yeah, no real big injuries for us in this game. Things went relatively well. Um, Alex Miller, I think, got banged up, but then came back. So the yeah, I think we're we're as healthy as we've been probably for just about any game this season, other than Purdue. So we're I think yeah, Notre Dame's going to get our best punch. Well, 
Um, another, I, I guess, I, I'm not sure if this is, oh, I know from a personal level, this is going to be nice. The current weather forecast for this weekend, um, you know, high of 50, low of 41. That's definitely better than four years ago in South Bend where it was just Oof-da. butt cold. Um, th- this should be a little better. So, uh, at, at least from a viewing standpoint. And again, I, I don't see, you know, it not being a sloppy game not no no big weather i i think i don't know if that benefits one team over another i just from a personal viewing perspective i don't like to freeze my butt off um well but it, it benefits me because um i believe your children have uh have entered northwestern stadium previously my children never have and i'm very excited to be bringing them to evanston and to ryan field for the first time in their lives uh Yes. My, da- my my daughter who knows what's happening is like because she's almost five is really excited, and uh, she's 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 all about Northwestern. I think my wife will be taking Robbie to the Notre Dame side, <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, you know. Um, but I'm uh, I'm really excited about that. the 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 game time changes throw me for a little bit of a, of a loop. If anybody's got an extra parking pass to any lot, I don't care what lot, any lot, it would be uh, it would be helpful because our logistics have been scrambled a little bit. But um, you know, re- reach out if if you uh, if you can help us out. Um, but just in general, I'm I'm just stoked. It'll be my first game this year, and I'm uh, I'm so fired up to be there. We really should just touch on um, some of the other games going on in the in the Big Ten and around the country because there's there's some really wonderful games going on this weekend um obviously the one that we're going to be paying very close attention to iowa at purdue um you know purdue's a a two and a half point favorite uh as we record on monday night interesting i I mean this the the last week was such a clear letdown spot for purdue we we talked about on the pot i'm not surprised at all that they lost to michigan state it is kind of weird that it was michigan state's backup qb uh rocky lombardi what a name um who who played really well in that game, but it was, it was such a clear letdown. And now coming home, hosting a, a number nineteen Iowa, like I think I think they're going to give Iowa their their best game. Uh, Nebraska at Ohio State, I uh, you know they're they're going to get destroyed. Uh, good for them. Uh, maybe me i don't maybe i don't know what's up with ohio state well that's, that's I, a good point i mean they've had two weeks they've to had prepare. Two, yeah they've had to you know two weeks wounds. to lick their wounds so you don't necessarily have the week after letdown spot so you would hope at least they're a 20 and a half point favorite against a two and six nebraska team that i mean had their way gonna, with bethune cookman they're they're not gonna lose but i wouldn't i mean this could be like one of those ugly-ish big 10 games where in the third quarter you're kind of scratching your head going really um, Wisconsin gets the cure for what else yet as Rutgers comes calling. Go Rutgers. <laughs> it's yeah. Go. I'm sorry. I shouldn't kick a man when he's down, but go Rutgers. Yeah. Go Rutgers. I mean, it, it ain't going to happen, but boy, <sighs> uh, but I mean, it's, it's funny. I mean, what's Wisconsin going to do in that game? Are they going to let Cone throw or are they just going to just hand off a million times? And or if they do, or will Horny going to be back? Right, right. And, or that's right. That's right. It's concussion protocol. So, or, you know, or is it going to be Garrett Groshek or what? I mean, I, you know, it would be, it can only be gravy to get any other win against the Badgers this year. Um, you know, one more would certainly make them no threat to us. But, um, but yeah, it's not going to be this one. <laughs> uh, Michigan State at Maryland. 
Okay. Mar- cool. Yeah. Maryland's been Maryland's kind of I'll say better than I thought they were going to be, I think. I think they're kind of they seem to be headed for bowl eligibility. They probably take the L here, but you know, this is a winnable game for them, I would say. In Michigan. I will say I I expected the coaching thing to to impact them more severely this year and they've um they've just they've they've not seemed to be bothered by that. It's been more just the the injuries that seem to always decimate their QBs and their running backs and such. But, um, but yeah, they've been, they've been better than I thought they would be too. Well, they, they might. Um, I heard that there was another meeting of the Maryland uh, board um, tonight. So, so something might be coming down the pike as far as Durkin fairly soon, I would imagine, but uh, we shall see. Um, you've got Minnesota at Illinois. I guess this game should matter. We're going to need to beat both of these teams. So, you know, it's, it's worthwhile tape to take a look at, but Minnesota's not great in Illinois, man. Oh man. They, I mean, got absolutely annihilated by Maryland. And now Rut Hardy Nickerson is stepping away, right? For health related injuries, health concerns, which, you know, best, best to him. I hope he gets better. I hope it's not too serious, but I mean, the wheels are all the way off Illinois right now. So I will say this, like playing at Minnesota um, in three weeks, is, it's kind of terrifying just because I've seen bad things happen against this team in the past. But they are so, so injured right now. Um, last game, Tanner Morgan, uh, uh, I believe, uh, I guess he's their one scholarship QB since Zach Anikstad was a walk-on, but uh, he made his first first start Uh Shannon Brooks came back from from injury, having torn an ACL, and then promptly injured his other leg. I, I don't know if that means he's out, uh, but he didn't finish the game. Um, there's another uh, running back who didn't play for. I mean, they're they are so 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 banged up. I, I mean, on the road at Illinois, like who knows what's going to happen in this game? But watching both these teams closely, because I just. I don't know. We just can't take anything for granted at this stage. And, and we have too much in front of us now to, to be worried about them in three weeks. You know, it, it's way too, way too much, you know, with Notre Dame now and Iowa next week. I, I'm not even paying attention to Minnesota until we get uh, done with the, this game at Kinnick. Um, finally, in the Big Ten, you got Penn State at Michigan. That, that, that'll be interesting. I mean, Michigan... You know, as they stand, you know, they're right now uh, ranked five in the AP. Uh, the initial uh, playoff rankings are going to come out tomorrow as we record this on Monday. Um, you know, Michigan, they're probably not going to be in that uh, that first poll, at least in the top four. But they're they're right there. And, you know, if any of the t- current top four stumble, um, I, Michigan you know, is right there to, to jump in. I think people are looking at this game right for that the biggest effect it can have is to to greatly dilute the Big Ten, the top of the Big Ten, right? Especially if Michigan could still come and beat Ohio State um, and just take away whatever, have your top team be that much likely to make the playoff, that much better representation of the conference. Uh, there are a lot of people who care about such things. I could give a rat's ass about that. <laughs> if it means that Michigan suddenly looks worse, that Penn State beats them, and that potentially means that they might look worse uh, for a future Big Ten championship matchup, then all the better. 
Um, but I, I don't have some great desire to see Michigan proudly carry the flag of the Big Ten. Bang them up, Penn State. You did good work for us last week. Did do good work for us this week. Um, elsewhere around the country, I mean, the biggest game on on the docket has to be uh, Bama at LSU, with the biggest line in uh, thirty years. That's at LSU. I mean that that to me summed up how good Bama is more than anything because this is a great LSU team. One of the best in the past decade, and they're at home, and they're massive underdogs. Um, at, but at home at night, when they hardly they ever never lose. lose at home at night. But Sam, you sent us a pretty interesting stat for you know for what it's worth. Yeah, I mean it, it's interesting. You know, Bama is you know looks just absolutely dominating. But when you you take a look at the te- at the teams they've beaten. The defensive rankings of all of the, uh, the eight teams that they've beaten, none of them are better than 90th in the country. I'm, you know, take that for what you will. Um, I, I'm not take. I'm not saying that to take anything away from Bama. They look phenomenal. I mean, like like we said earlier, they are on a whole other plane, even you know, far and away above Clemson at two. I mean, they're they're fantastic. But you know, LSU is is definitely the best team that they're going to be coming up against all season. And uh, at home at night in death Valley, weird thing. LSU will, LSU will be missing their best defensive player for the first half. Yeah. From a garbage targeting call uh, the week before last. Yeah. I, I still think, Overall, I mean, that their defense is really going to bring it. I, To me, the biggest thing from this game is just to see Tua really have to perform in a tight game would be nice. I really think he's got it in him, but since he's probably going to win the Heisman Trophy, it'd be nice we could look back at, at a time when things were in doubt for Alabama, and then he really carried them to a win. Um, just something, something, some notion that he was even vaguely tested in a season when he won the sport's highest honor would be nice. Um, so I'm going to throw out one more SEC game with a giant, uh, road favorite in it. And that's Georgia at Kentucky. Yeah. Do you guys remember when we, uh, we took a a team from, uh, from Auburn to overtime in a bowl game and almost beat them. And then the next year they won the national championship. Yeah, sure do. Um, I don't think Kentucky's quite going to win the national championship, but my goodness, they are seven and one, and if they win this game, they win the East. They've got that magic this year. Now they should have lost last week. <laughs> yep, but yes, they should have. But they've thank got you, the, thank you referees. But they've got the magic, um, and say sometimes things like that matter in this in this uh, in this kind of season. So yeah, I mean, I odds odds are that they'll get pasted by Georgia, but hey. If if they somehow can make it tight, I mean, it's an opportunity for what has to be the biggest game in Kentucky football history. I'm not a SEC historian, but um, I can't imagine that there would be a bigger opportunity for them. And if they if they win it, that's just so crazy. Uh, a I mean, probable the, date with Alabama. I mean, this is just like the Purdue Ohio State game from a couple weeks ago, albeit with bigger stakes, right? Um, and as long as Kentucky doesn't wilt in the face of those stakes, I, I think they've got a shot. I, 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 it, Georgia probably wins, but I think, 
their defense is good enough. This should be a pretty good game. Uh, also interesting, West Virginia at Texas. I mean, West Virginia looks they look great all season, except for when they went to Iowa State. Because the, weird, the Big weird... Twelve is just drunk. Yeah, it, Big Twelve is definitely weird. I mean, TCU lost to Kansas, and you know, just that in and of itself just can tell you all there is to know about the Big Twelve. Uh, cannibalizing itself, you know, they're. Oklahoma is probably their best chance of getting the playoff, but the fact that Oklahoma is going to have to play the next best team twice, um, you know, but uh, this West Virginia, Texas game should be interesting. I, I, I still don't buy into Texas. I mean, they've looked good. Sure. But something just doesn't seem quite right. And West Virginia is, looks much, much better to me at least. Yeah, Will Greer still could play himself to the Downtown Athletic Club, I'd say, and finish third in the Heisman. It's very possible. Um, I definitely could see a Tua Tagovailoa, Kyler Murray, Will Greer, final three. Um, and they, they tend to invite at least three guys. So they, and, and West Virginia still controls their own destiny. I mean, this, West Virginia's got as much of a shot at the playoff as anybody, assuming they won out, right? Like, Texas, TCU, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. If they can do that um, and beat those, fi- win those five games. Oh, seriously, um, that, that they would be they would play Oklahoma in back to back weeks, most likely, yeah. right? I mean, assuming that Oklahoma would be the other. So it, that team would certainly have a really good chance, but that would that would be just an absolutely insane set of circumstances. Frankly, if they could do that, Greer might have a shot at the award, but. There's also a really good chance. I mean, Oklahoma State is super feisty right now. TCU is garbage now, which does Ohio State's schedule no favor. Um, but yeah, I I think they're, the real problems for West Virginia come Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma back-to-back weeks. But yeah, I I don't know. I still feel like the most likely scenario is that Oklahoma is, is the class of this conference and that crazy Red River shootout, like it always does, maybe gave us a little bit of a false perception of what's going on. I just love that they moved that game up in the year. Or no, they moved Bedlam up in the year, right? So that it wouldn't, uh, it, it, there, you wouldn't have a potential back-to-back right. same, right, same teams yeah. playing each other in the championship as in the week before. And now they've got potential for, for that to exact thing to happen. I just, I love it when that sort of stuff happens. Uh, any other games catching your eyes before we uh, call it a wrap? Uh, no games, but I did want to revisit our our upcoming opponent one last time with uh results from the from the survey I put out on Twitter this morning and I asked uh, I asked I just wanted to get a sense of where our fans are at where their heads are going to this game the three options were uh uh with regard to Notre, Notre Dame um no biggie just go 1 and 0 as Fitz likes to say uh can't talk driving to Iowa and uh there is no Dana only Notre Dame 50% of our uh, of respondents were in the no biggie, just go 1-0 space. So it's interesting. You know, there's been a lot of talk of like, oh, is this just for the fans? Is this just for pride? Um, seems like a lot of people are in the camp of like, yeah, we we really want to win, but we're not, you know, putting an inordinate amount of, of whatever on this game. Uh, the the rest the, the rest of the respondents, four out of five, um, not quite that much, but I'm going to round up, um, are just focused on Iowa and have already said whatever happens this week happens. I just want Iowa. And then we've got, you know, a handful of folks that are, um, 
I think as one as one listener or one respondent put it, um, hates Notre Dame's with the with the passion of a thousand suns or the heat of a thousand suns, something like that. So, uh, yeah, I think you know fan base is, is entering this in a pretty good mindset. Find, find so, us at the tailgate. Find <laughs> <laughs> whoever that is. Come come find us. East golf um, lot. We'll be there. Yeah, yeah. I, there, that might be a dangerous place for him, given the the likely likely percentage of Notre Dame fans in there. But um, and not I, at our tailgate, but in the east in the east uh, golf lot. And I, I still think that you, you missed one entry into that uh, into that survey, and that would be boiler up. You know, well, I think I think boiler ups not not mutually exclusive for many. I think we'd all be saying boiler up and one of those other things, all right. right? Yeah. Um, but I just, it's, uh, the team's in a good mindset. The coaches are in a good mindset. The fans are in a good mindset. It's a good, it's a good week. It's a good way to, it's a good week to go. It's a good way to go into this, uh, kind of titanic matchup that has no actual meaning. <laughs> and with that, let's go ahead and leave it there for this week. Um, once again, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter at Westlot Pirates. You can call our voicemail line 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show Pirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the East Central Golf Lot uh, flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Scasboy and Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.